Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. We are just 29 days away from the election, and we're starting Monday basically with the entire country hung over from what happened over the weekend. I mean, you know, where where do you actually start? Because there's there's so much. I mean, do you want to uh, should should we talk about the I don't know the the botched briefings? Should we talk about the joyride by the president of the United States, the doctored videos, the conflicting accounts? Uh, the we you know, we all live in 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 Donald's show. Uh, so joining me. Uh, on this Monday morning, we, we, we felt we had to double team this. Uh, David Priest, Chief Operating Officer of Lawfare and an expert in, on issues involving presidential succession, which seems highly relevant again today. And uh, our own uh, Amanda Carpenter, political columnist for The Bulwark. So uh, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, it's an awkward morning, though, Charlie, because uh, Amanda and I had a little misunderstanding offline. See, she thought that she was so enraged that I was coming on to be her her rage translator, and and I thought I was so enraged that you were having her on to to mediate my rage. So we might have a problem. This here. is this is this is very interesting. Okay, so I mean, I got an email here that I just got a few minutes ago with a subject line: "Amanda Carpenter, please go off." So, <laughs> dear Charlie Sykes, I don't have Twitter, so I can't reach Amanda. Can you tell her it is totally okay to go off a bit today? I know it's a serious time, but she's hilarious, and she took a few moments to school Trump. Um, this, uh, this this man could not protect his wife, staff, the American people, or himself. He lied, and 210,000 Americans have have died. So I, I, I think this is in response to your one of your tweets. But you know what's interesting that you got, you uh, both of you would say the same thing, because on Saturday morning, I sat down to write a special newsletter with the breaking news about the president and everything that was going on. And as I'm sitting there, I realize, and this doesn't happen to me a lot. In fact, I can't even ha- remember the last time. Uh, I was too angry to write. I was afraid that I would say something that would, I don't know, either, you know, at the minimum level, um, you know, offend the rights new civility police at the maximum level, say something that that I would I would regret. But that was my overwhelming reaction. I went from sort of surprise to went through the thoughts and prayers phase of all of this and thinking about the political to waking up and just feeling, you know, damn it, this is just this is just outrageous. So, so Amanda, since you, you've you've had the popular demand to go off on this, what what, uh, what 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 what's your mood Monday morning about all of this? I fully accept the challenge. Okay. We have to start off by acknowledging we still don't know three basic things. When was the president's last negative test? When was his first positive test? And who was exposed? And this isn't just information that we don't have or haven't discovered it. The White House is in possession of this. So these, usually we talk about lies as just kind of character flaws. In this case, the lies are evil. They're just not another word for it. They are exposing people to a deadly and contagious virus, okay? The president is essentially a walking biological weapon, and he's being pointed indiscriminately at people, and they don't care. And then Kaylee McEnany walks up to the White House and people still have to kiss her ass and say that she's smart and polished. That is not true. She's making up that he has some right to privacy. Excuse me for a deadly and contagious virus that kills people. This is not spin. This is complicit engagement in crimes against health and humanity. This is depraved, heinous, malicious behavior with complete disregard for human life 
in service to the president. I don't think we should sugarcoat this. And so when you see these people, you need to see people who are knowingly harming other people. We're going into election. The nation's commander-in-chief is hospitalized because of his own incompetence, paranoia, and denialism. He is a victim of circumstances he created. And it's all because he and all these MAGA followers think owning the libs is a better health and economic policy than wearing masks, social distancing, and avoiding crowds. And now we're all suffering the consequences, like we have been for months. David Priest. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not even going to translate that. That that was a perfect expression of it, but it, it illustrates an even deeper problem. And it's one that I'm afraid is not going to get better. For example, we, we don't know if Trump was tested on what, Tuesday before he went to the debate, which seems like a year ago. We don't know if he was tested before he went up to that fundraiser in, in New Jersey on, on Thursday. And they're, and they're not telling us. So we, we only have two options and both of them are bad. One is that the inability of anyone around the president to say, Mr. President, that's a bad idea. We shouldn't do that. And here's why, because presumably he runs them out of the job if they ever say that. The the inability of anybody to do that has led to a situation where people aren't doing that. And when he said, I'm not feeling well, or maybe I had a positive COVID test and I'm going to go to this event anyway, one option is nobody had the guts to say, Mr. President, you can't do that. Now, the president could overrule them, but that doesn't wipe out the ethical need to say, Mr. President, that is a bad idea. We shouldn't do that. Now, the other option is people did say that and he just steamed roll over them completely um, as he's done before. Either way, that's horrible. And either way, that bodes ill for the future. We're seeing it with these so-called medical briefings where people are asking specific medical questions about his oxygenation level or about when he had this or that. And the doctors, you can almost see them holding up a sign saying, I was told by the president not to say this answer directly. So I'm going to ridiculously talk around it. They're not fooling anybody. The only thing they're doing is agreeing to this president's whims, which are actually harming not only information about his health, but the national security of the United States meaning the health of the United States. It is absolutely shameful. And it's and it's something that's going to get worse if no one around the president has stepped up in the last few days to tell him what needs to be done and what needs not to be done. It's just going to accelerate uh, as shown by the joy ride yesterday. Yeah, I, I you know, I. <sighs> I wanted to shift the focus away for a moment from from Trump because I, I, I in my newsletter I quoted a, a tweet from somebody named Julian Sanchez who said for every famous political figure exposed at all these events there's going to be a non-famous staffer who never makes the news who doesn't have the same access to rapid testing and treatment and who had no say in the choice to eschew basic safety measures for symbolic reasons you know and that's absolutely true with all the focus on Donald Trump and Donald Trump beating COVID. All the other people whose lives have been put at risk, and even that focus, I think, is too narrow because this is not a Washington, D.C. alone story. I mean, no, since Thursday, you know, that's the day the White House says the Trump uh, tested positive, uh, more than 10,000 Wisconsinites in my home state were infected and 50 died. And none of their trips to the hospital were covered on live cable television. You're unlikely to read the names of a single one of them. Um, 
you're not, you know, their their conditions are not followed on Twitter. But it's a pretty good reminder. A lot of this is happening, you know, far away from Walter Reed Hospital. And I, I, I can't get away from the fact that Trump was planning to come here on on Saturday. He was actually planning to come to Wisconsin in Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is the epicenter right now. It's like I think ranks third. The Brown County is third in the entire country in terms of coronavirus infections. And it's just and 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 the the arrogance of all of this and the way in which we have cultivated this indifference that has resulted in hundreds of thousands of Americans losing their life. So yeah, thoughts and prayers to the Trump family. But what we're seeing played out in miniature is is this entire story of this last year where the president thinks it's all a show and he doesn't care who he puts at risk, which is why we get the rage. Charlie, the only thing that's shocking is that it didn't happen sooner. He's been flying around the country, gathering thousands of people since Tulsa, since Herman Cain died, okay? No one took a step back. Nobody even slowed the plane down to mourn Herman Cain, a fellow Republican who showed up to support the president and probably died because of it. Donald Trump kept holding, I mean, how many has he hold the RNC, the RNC at the White House with people standing shoulder to shoulder, sweating all over each other, breathing all over each other, and then walking into the crowds into protests where people also gathered and shouldn't have. I, I, yeah, I mean, they're inviting this to happen. If you wanted to get coronavirus, what would they do differently? Honestly. Well, I mean, also, I mean, Americans are looking at this. In fact, you know, I was looking at that picture from the Amy uh, Coney Barrett, um, you know, announcement. The 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 inside, they they were outside in the Rose Garden, then they came inside, and of course, there's no social distancing. There's 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 no masks. I mean, the outside, you see, you know, Mike Lee's hugging people and kissing people, and I mean, it was it was as as reckless as you can get, especially if you're sitting back going. Think of the weddings, the funerals, the games, the people you haven't seen, you know, over the last six months. You know, who behaves this way other than the president of the United States? So, okay, let's just step back. Okay, I, I'm sorry, David, you wanted to wait in there. Yeah, I mean, that, I, that, it's, it's that double standard that I think is so is so infuriating. And you're making me think in an even darker direction, which is you you were saying, well, he was he was going to come to Wisconsin and do these events in areas that are already um, experiencing a spike and and I can't say that he won't that he won't make those trips. I mean right now yeah. I could imagine him saying to his aides, "You know what? It's been too long. We need to get out there and do this and damn it, I'm flying and I am going to these events." And you think it's behind you. I'm not sure it's behind you. I think yeah. we could have a COVID-19 positive president forcing his staff to let him go out to a rally because that's what he needs to jack up his ego and damn the consequences for the thousands of people who could be through the ultimate transmission. Uh, those people who could be harmed by it, it, it's about satisfying that urge. Well, wasn't Jason Miller, if, you know, for the people who can stand to look at his face on TV, setting that up over the weekend by, you know, coming up with this insane theory that coronavirus is some kind of um, enemy that must be confronted in person, like some battlefield general? Mm-hmm. What is this? It, in, in, in their heads, does this make sense? 
I, I look. I mean, Jason Miller. The fact that they 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 he has impaired the, judgment. Let's just start yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. That the television networks actually give him a a platform is is outrageous in and of itself. But you know, are we really supposed to expect that people are going to look at this and go, "Yeah, this is a triumph. The president was courageous. He was a hero by putting himself in harm's way." But again, that's why take the the frame away. It's not putting himself in harm's way. It's putting other people in harm's way. It's putting all of uh, the the the, the wait staff, you know, the the staff of of the White House, all of the people out there. You know, somebody tweeted about, boy, I really feel sorry for that driver, uh, the Secret Service driver who had to uh, go on the joyride with with the president. Well, it's not just him. It's his mother, his father, his grandparents, his brother, his sister. It's everyone else he comes in contact with. And so it's not so this whole notion that the president has some. I mean, I can't even imagine. Well, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm used to being disappointed here. Okay, so let's go back to the the obvious baseline political question, Amanda. There was all. There's always the. There's always the possibility that there will be a rally around the flag uh, effect when a president gets sick, gets ill, is attacked, or anything. Is there any evidence that that is going to happen for Donald Trump here? And maybe well, this is too easy a question, but I mean, th- well, there was always that possibility on Friday. Yeah. yeah, there was more immediate polling. And I don't know if that was more reacting to the disaster of the debate that happened on Tuesday or the hospitalization where his support is dropping off significantly among seniors. There was an NBC poll. But when it comes to the rally around the flag effect, you know, people generally feel sorry for someone when they become a victim of outside circumstances. But by now, Everybody realizes how Donald Trump has disregarded basic CDC guidelines, masking, social distancing, avoiding crowds. And so I think it's extremely hard for the public to feel sorry for someone when they did this to themselves. Yeah, they had agency. So, David, what is what is what is your take on all of that? Yeah, I I mix that together with the the briefings we've had so far from the medical team led by, what is it, Dr. Conley, I believe his mm-hmm. name is. And I mean, I, I looked back at this and there's plenty of cases in history where presidents withheld information from the American public about their health condition and some dramatic cases where they actively deceived the American people and even people close to them about their their health condition. So that part doesn't really surprise me, even though the trend line has been more positive in recent administrations, uh, Trump is reverting back to the long-term historical norm. But there was one thing Dr. Conley said with with all of the missed uh, answers and missed opportunities to introduce some clarity and sanity into this process. He said one line that got absolutely dunked on. Everybody was criticizing it because it sounds like he's talking about magical thinking, about words affecting a virus. Here's what he said. He said, I didn't want to give any information that might steer the illness in another direction. Now, I am actually on board with this because all the criticism of this is taking it at face value and not looking at what he's saying between the lines. In fact, I think it's the most forthright thing he has said in two days. He didn't want to give any information out to the public that might steer the illness in another direction. There's a mediating variable there, Charlie, and that is Donald Trump. He didn't want to give any information out publicly that Trump would then yell at the doctors and say, screw you. I'm not listening to you anymore. You're out there saying this stuff that I told you not to say. 
So I'm going back to the White House. I'm going back to rallies. And that would then, of course, steer the illness in another direction because the president would not be getting the best medical care and he would be injuring other people. So I think there is an element of conscience in Dr. Conley that does say, I don't want to give any information that's going to trigger this patient. God only knows what's actually happening in that in that hospital suite and what they're putting up with, with VIP syndrome run wild with the president. I don't want to have anything that triggers him to not only hurt himself by not taking treatments or by insisting that he's going to go out for a walk to wave at the crowd, but would actually endanger all the other people that he would then come into contact oh boy. with. You're, you're a much nicer guy than I am, David, because I just thought he was bullshitting. And and also the, the, the happy talk could have the opposite effect, which is to make the president do what he often does, which is to downplay the severity of it, to think that he's better than he really is. Well, that's the problem, right? I mean, even if, even if he is trying to do the right thing and say, you know what, I'm going to give you absolutely everything I can, but I've got to hold back because if the president reacts, even if he's trying to do that, how many people have learned in the past three years and 10 months that doesn't work with Donald Trump? You can't try to mediate him in these subtle ways because he's just going to bulldoze right over you. Well, the other thing though is, and none of us are doctors and I don't want to play a doctor on, on, on this particular podcast. uh, But at this point, you know, they have reaped what they have been sowing for the last four years, which is that I don't know who to believe. I don't know whether we're ever going to believe when he comes out and he, you know, declares that he has beat this. Is are people going to believe him? Are they going to believe the, um, you know, the the, the the claims? I don't know what the situation is, and frankly, I don't know what's going on with some of the drugs that they've administered. Drugs that the experts are saying you only administer to somebody who is very, very sick. I think it's more likely that Donald Trump demanded everything, or that out of an abundance of caution, they gave him all sorts of things, including drugs. And and, and David, I got to get to you on this one. I know we don't want to play doctor. I just said that, but but there are some of these drugs that might impair judgment, which yeah. raises the question of at what point do we begin to talk about, okay, is the president going to cling to power? You know, is there a moment where, I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to point necessarily to the wild tweet storm this morning, which is probably just basically Trump at, you know, a certain edge of his spectrum. But but what what, what are the issues involving a president who maybe is pumped up on stuff that might be causing questionable judgment? Although, how would you tell with this president whether yeah. his judgment is more questionable than usual? Well, Charlie, it it just so happens that I am a doctor. Now, I'm not a medical doctor that would actually be useful in any real circumstance, but as a doctor of political science, this is the stuff I look at. And yes, we do have a mechanism for temporarily removing power from a president who is disabled. Uh, Disability is not defined in the 25th Amendment. It is left open for interpretation. Usually, People thought it meant if the president goes into a coma or is otherwise incapacitated, uh, such as Ronald Reagan was after his uh, after the assassination attempt in April 1981, when the 25th Amendment should have been invoked because the president was unconscious and in surgery. That's what people normally think of. But even in the debates uh, of the 25th Amendment in the late 1960s, they acknowledged it could be used for a psychological breakdown. It could be used for other instances where the president is unable to exercise fundamental judgment. Well, guess what? Many people have been arguing that for years, that this president automatically qualified for the 25th Amendment at that point. But if he is on a drug 
that according to the medical experts who are commenting on it, accelerates things like anxiety, paranoia, grandiose delusions. Well, how are we going to tell? Because we already have a president right. characterized by those things. And the tweet storm this morning seems to indicate, it's hard to tell what baseline do you measure it against, but it sure seems as if there's some ramped up behavior there. At what point does the vice president and half of the cabinet, because that's who has to decide, at what point do they say, Mr. President, we wish you would declare yourself temporarily disabled so that the vice president can exercise the powers and duties of the office. But if you don't, we're going to declare it for you. I got to say, I don't see it happening uh, short of the president either collapsing into a coma or doing a live video on Twitter where he is, you know, claiming to be the queen of England. Um, I don't think we're going to get there because he has conditioned so many people around him to think that when he rants, when he raves, when he makes these outrageous claims, that is their baseline. That's what they think is normal. So a slight acceleration of that is not going to trigger an invocation of the 25th. Yeah, of- I, I can't see them doing it even, maybe I'm too cynical now, uh, but I can't even see uh, Mike Pence pulling the trigger, even under the circumstances you described. What do you think, Amanda? I think these would be excellent topics to discuss in the upcoming vice presidential debate if (laughs) a moderator had any sense about him. I mean, let's not forget that Mike Pence was the head of the coronavirus task force. So I have some questions about the White House's handling of that, given that, you know, it's taken over essentially the inner circle of the Trump presidential campaign. I mean, you got the RNC chair, Rana. Romney McDaniel's out, you have the campaign manager out, you have Chris Christie out, you have Kellyanne Conway out, you have his wife out. By the way, how are any of these people doing? It's kind you of know, interesting I, that they're in deep six. Melania is always quiet, but I'm, yeah. I'm curious about her status, right? Um, but when it comes to the 25th Amendment question, this is why I'm sort of hung up on the idea that anyone in the White House is saying that Trump has some kind of right to medical privacy. I think that ends the moment that our national security is at risk. We have a right to that information. He, you know, the guy that paid $750 in federal taxes is getting state-of-the-art medical treatment at Walter Reed. We're paying for that. I want to know what's going on. We have a right to know what drugs he's on and if we're being kept as safe as possible. And so Mike Pence surely should know some of that information given that he's next in line. And I would like to see him put on the spotlight um, with those questions on Wednesday. And if the moderator won't do it, then my God, Kamala Harris, step it up. You know, I um, there's so many different aspects of all this. I, I, I think that, that one of those that one of the questions that I have is if this story had not been broken by an intrepid reporter, would we have ever learned about it at all? True. Mm-hmm. I think their instinct is to is to cover it up and to lie to people about it. Uh, and you kind of wonder, uh, there was on Friday, there was that that uh, all the questions about the timeline and whether or not he had had uh, positive uh, tests earlier. I don't know that we we know all of that stuff. But OK, so you you mentioned kind of in, in, in passing the, the the pro-Trumpian media, but also the anti-anti-Trump media, which we've talked about a lot. I thought it was really interesting, all of the, the push for everyone to engage in maximum civility uh, over the weekend. And again, I don't think that anybody should wish anyone ill. Nobody wants to see anyone get sick. 
Um, you would hope that the better angels of our nature would prevail. But it was really interesting how you know all the Trumpists were were so shocked that the people were being mean to all of him. I mean, look, you know the. The, the whole essence of Trumpism for the last four years has been this delight in cruelty. And as soon as this came out, the demands for empathy from people who had never shown it to anyone in the past. So, I mean, remember when Hillary Clinton was sick back in 2016? Remember how Donald Trump treated her? Remember how many of the Trumpists uh, treated her? I mean, I, I'm hoping that there's some civility, but, you know, you had people who really did luxuriate in this sort of cultivated cruelty for years. And then suddenly they're on, they're on the high ground. And I, I guess I, at a certain point, I found that a little bit rankly. Okay. So Joe Biden is continuing to campaign. He pulled his negative ads, at least temporarily. Trump's campaign immediately said, yeah, we're not doing it. We're going to keep hammering uh, Joe Biden. So Amanda Carpenter, what should Joe Biden do with the ads? I think he should talk about the impact that coronavirus has had on the nation. This is the time to talk about it. I feel like this goes back to our conversation we had after Herman Cain died, Charlie. Do you remember that podcast? Yep. Kind of like, well, how should we talk about, you know, should we? And the answer is yes. This is a thing that's right in front of our face. Donald Trump, you don't have to delight in it, but we should not shy away from the fact that he is hospitalized and in isolation because he did not take medical precautions as advised by the CDC. That is just a fact. And there is no shame in stating those facts and saying, I hope he gets well. And I will, you know, Joe Biden can say, I will be at the debate on Tuesday. I thought that was a great response. And somebody asked me, well, I plan to be there. I'm going to be there. And you don't have to say anything else because the open question is, will Donald Trump, will he be well enough? And so I, he doesn't have to go negative, but just just say what it is. 100% Amanda, in this case, the president's own behavior is is the most negative ad one could do and he's doing it himself. Uh, Joe Biden is getting all the free publicity and advertising he wants and the people out there screaming, time to turn back on those negative ads. Really? Are, are you being persuaded by them? Because it sounds like you're already pretty much persuaded. Um, what what are those ads going to, to do to whom other than make you feel better and give you the sense of slacktivism that you're getting by tweeting about him turning those ads back on? There's no practical benefit to doing so. Joe Biden looks like the anti-Trump by not doing it and by giving all of the airtime to Trump doing what he's doing. It, it's it's not helping Trump in his campaign in any way. You know, I'm, 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 Joe yeah. should go negative, but he definitely should not go dark. That's the distinction I would make. You should be honest. And if being yeah. honest is seen as an attack ad, I know all people who produce attack ads and negative ads say that they're being honest, but your approach is exactly right. Lay out the facts as they are. No commentary, just state the facts. You can't be more negative than that in terms of the consequences and the interpretation, but you don't have to be out there slinging the attacks and throwing the punches the, the president is punching himself in the face figuratively. Uh, well, I don't know what's going on in that hospital it's room, but figuratively, yeah. the president is punching himself in the face every day by what he's doing. And it would be unseemly to turn on ads that are more negative than that 
without any gain that will that will come from them. See, in order to understand how Donald Trump's mind works, I guess to the extent I've figured out anything, it's that you have to think of it in terms of the show, that it is, you know, how does the executive producer do this? So the the ride, the joy ride where he waves at people while he's still in the hospital, that would be the show. And in Donald Trump's mind, I think he's thinking of this amazing comeback. Sort of like WWE, where he will come through the smoke and like, I am back and I am so strong. I have beaten this. I embody the comeback of America. Um, and, and you know, obviously, that's that's the line they're going to push, assuming that he recovers from this, as we hope that he does. But I just for the life of me can't see how that works, because, uh, you know, no, no, number one or or. That he would claim that, well, now I get it. I've been changed by this. I've gone to school and now I understand all these things. Mr. President, a little bit too little too late. 210,000 Americans have already died. Um, and I think that the focus is it's been so dramatically on his his recklessness. This is also one of those stories, you know, we all spent, you know, months and months and months talking about a variety of scandals involving the Trump administration, including Russiagate and everything. And they never made much of a difference to the average voter. I don't think the average voter was paying as much attention as I believe they ought to have. But this story, I just get the sense, Amanda, that everyone in America has been talking about this over the last 48 hours. Everybody is talking about this. In a, in, a, in a way that none of the other things that we've talked about have penetrated into the electorate. How can you not? The shock yeah. of learning that the president of the United States was going to Walter Reed, being airlifted, yeah. right, without much explanation, but with a lot of urgency and a lot of secrecy. I My phone was lighting up. You know, I go to bed early. I had people texting me, Sissy, you got to get up. You got to get up right now and watch this. In how can you have to be captivated by that? Because he he's been telling everyone to open up, go about life as normal. And now he's in a helicopter being airlifted to Walter Reed. If that doesn't get your attention, I, what would? So okay, so yeah. So if, if you're a Republican um, right now, there are like three major crises. Um, I'm looking at the Politico article about Lindsey Graham. I mean, obviously, what happens to the president? What happens to the presidency in the election? What how happens with the Supreme Court? I want to talk about that next. And of course, um, is the uh, U.S. Senate control in play? Obviously, if uh, they're, they're looking at a nightmare scenario. But let's talk about the Supreme Court. There are six Republican senators who are in quarantine for at least two weeks. Three of them have tested positive for coronavirus. Two of them are members of the Judiciary Committee, which raises all kinds of questions, David Priest, about the timeline for going ahead with Amy Coney Barrett. Um, they are insisting that they are not going to be delaying this in any way. Um, Mitch McConnell shut down the, the actual Senate, <laughs> the full Senate, for a couple of weeks, but they're going to go ahead with the hearing. So what is the impact? What is the state of that confirmation, which was seen as a, which was seen as a uh, foregone conclusion um, up until Friday? Yeah, they can easily resolve this tension. I mean, they've resolved much more uh, unlikely tensions before by simply doing something that many people have called on them to do for months, which is change the rules and allow remote sessions. And they've done some of these. There have been some congressional hearings that have been done remotely, but they could basically just announce, okay, um, we are just simply allowing remote sessions. And those senators who are in quarantine 
can take place in all deliberations and votes. We're just carrying on as normal with the the technology allowing us to do so. So I don't think that is hard for them to resolve. Politically, it gets harder because you already had the narrative out there of, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're doing this this close to the election. Um, but that's not the right narrative. The narrative is you're doing this during an election. We've got something as of the time of recording this, something like 4 million people have already voted. The election is going on. And then you're going to rush this through. That is a more compelling argument against it than how close it is to election day, which is increasingly irrelevant in this in this year. The politics of it are hard to calculate because of the influence of the COVID and the president's handling of it. To me, if anything, it puts pressure on the fact that you have a president who is unwell, who is still continuing to push this. Um, that doesn't look good. It also may not matter because okay. I'm not sure yeah. Mitch McConnell takes that into no, account. No, no, I, I don't. I don't think he does. So I'm just thinking through the mechanics of this, and, and Amanda, that's why I, you're you're you worked in the in the Senate before, right? At the there is a question of whether or not they will have a quorum. So just in terms of the mechanics, what are the complications of moving ahead if you have if you're down six senators? six Republican senators for for two weeks um, when they only have a three-vote majority. Yeah, or, it or, I mean, David's right. They're going to have to report her out of the Senate Judiciary Committee. That's the first step. There has to be hearings. And that is going to be a challenge in these circumstances. There's been hearings held remote before, but there certainly is a higher standard for the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice. Yeah. But you have to think that this is going to blow back on the nominee there was this seemed somewhat of a sham rush process to begin with. Now we're looking at this in terms of senators who can't be present to in person perform their constitutional duties of advice and consent. Right. Um, so it's messy. It's messy. Well, I was thinking this through a little bit. Yeah. So how does this affect people's judgment of the nominee herself? Knowing there were questions about her judgment from, I think, a lot of thoughtful conservatives, even internally, who would just say, you know, I, I just kind of I like her. I wonder about someone that would accept the nomination in these circumstances. Correct. Yeah. Now but- you look at the circumstances of her ceremony. Right. Which was a super spreader Ugh, event yeah. and has taken down senators. I, I think there's going to be problems with this process, even on a delayed two-week schedule. I mean, that's under the most optimistic circumstances. And yes, the Democrats may choose not to show up and deprive them of a quorum and slow it down for the final vote. I, I can't predict that. But if there's if, if they have the excuse, so to speak, of saying um, there's a lot of senators walking around with a deadly contagious disease. I'm going to stay home from work. I'm not participating in this. That would seem pretty legit. Yeah. Okay. So here, here's my bottom line on all of this. This is going to be very messy. Uh, It's going to be politically dangerous for a lot of Republicans, but there is no way they are not going to push her through. Um, They will change whatever rules they have to change. They will break whatever norms they have to break. None of these concerns will actually change their absolute determination to push her through. In fact, I think for a lot of um, 
cons- con- at least conservative activists I'm seeing, they're willing to give up uh, both the presidency and the, the Senate majority as long as they cement the uh, the majority in the Supreme Court, which, by the way, I think is a is a, uh, n- not necessarily a prudent calculation. But, you know, they are saying now that, you know, these outside advisors are saying that they could they could have the vote held in the Senate chamber with ill senators voting from the visitors gallery. I mean, it's it's that weird. So Josh Kraschauer says that he says Senate Republicans will likely pay a tangible political price um, if if they go through with this sort of thing. It, It may really come down to a SCOTUS judge or losing enough Senate seats to give progressives the upper hand. And at, at, the, at this point, I think they're going to go with the SCOTUS seat. I think they will because yeah. the judiciary branch, listen, we've got a president who is essentially term limited. You, you've got the president who is not able to serve for life. You have members of Congress, however, who can effectively serve for life. And, and many have served for decade after decade. Um, but there is always the possibility of the polls taking them out. And and some, even some long-serving senators and representatives have lost their seats in, in recent cycles. Um, but then you've got the judiciary. And short of a judicial impeachment, which they do happen, they're rare, but they do happen, um, you have the ability to affect national policy for sure. decades. <laughs> yeah. And in this case, it's hard to resist that because the other avenues right now just aren't looking that good for what's left of the National Republican Party. The judiciary looks like that's where you want to put all your eggs into that. Especially if you think that everything else is going to get burned down, you're you're going to do it. But then again, you get this math problem where um, you you, you still have the possibility that four senators would say, we just, we either can't make it or we're just not going to go along with that. I just have no confidence in that whatsoever. I, I mean, I, 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 I don't, Amanda. I'm not. I, this whole waiting around for some Republican to stand up and do the right thing, that's not going to happen. But I also think that the, the, the hopes that Republicans had for the Amy Coney Barrett nomination really being a plus in the final days of the campaign, I think this really probably undermines this because it's it's not going to be high drama. It's just going to look like an embarrassing fiasco. I'm going to disagree with you there. Okay. Um, okay. I, I don't think it does do that because we care about the process. We care about the integrity and the, the hypocrisy of the Merrick Garland versus the um, Barrett nomination. Um, honestly, uh, for the people that they are trying to appeal to, um, I don't think they care about it. In fact, they may celebrate the way that it's being done. Oh, no, 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 no. They may. They weren't going to do that anyway. I just just meant the television show. The the, the television show is going to be a mess. Amanda, what do you think? Yeah. The coronavirus. I mean, she's just going to be viewed through the lens is that she was the her ceremony was the start of the president's hospitalization. I just think it's such a problem to bring everybody in for these hearings in the next two weeks. We know that people who have it are supposed to be quarantined for 14 days. And that's under the best, most optimistic circumstances. And so let's say they're okay. And we're going to be watching all these people file into the chambers, file into the hearing rooms, asking in the back of their heads, are they sick? Are they going to spread it again? And so I just think the whole, while people may have thought it was going to be a plus, and I was in that camp two weeks ago before the president was hospitalized, this changes things because it is taking 
senators down. It is taking the president down and making them incapacitated for a certain number of days. I, you, you can't get around that. You just have the feel that it, it, it's like, you know, nature keeps, well, I'm, I'm going to leave nature out of it here. You do feel like everything's in decline and chaos right now. And I mean, that's why I can't see any upside for, for Trump at the moment, because it's, it's, you know, his entire narrative was, was the comeback, was things were good. And right now you're seeing the entire federal government debilitated, not a, not a good uh, uh, image. Okay. So here we're at, we are 29 days out from the election and I'll throw this to both of you. Uh, Joe Biden is up by, by eight points and yet we keep, we're still haunted by 2016. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of stuff on social media, how Hillary Clinton was up double digits in late October. Uh, so don't count on it. But this race is so stable. It is like eight points, eight points, eight points, eight points. The debate did not boost Donald Trump. I'm extremely skeptical that this coronavirus is going to boost Donald Trump. I'm also skeptical that the fight over the Supreme Court is going to boost Donald Trump. So what are we looking at? What is your sense, Amanda? Because I I think there's almost a, among the Democrats, there's almost a, a resistance to optimism, even though this is one of the strongest, most stable leads we've had in modern presidential campaign history. Yeah, I mean, you definitely would rather be Joe Biden than Donald Trump at this point. I mean, that's not even a question. <laughs> you obviously would want to be Joe Biden. Uh, but there are still debates to get through. And I think the question in the back of everyone's head should be, how is Donald Trump going to challenge the mail-in ballots uh, after Election Day is over? Uh, because there's still news stories talking about how his campaign is going after even tiny, tiny counties and places like North Carolina to tell people not to follow the rules and how they plan to challenge it later. So, th- so that's still happening. And I think that is a very good reason for Democrats not to be overconfident because this this still could be a long haul, despite all the circumstances working so very clearly against the Trump campaign. Yeah, I think the Pennsylvania, the challenges there, I think are going to be the most uh, most problematic. You, you can see that they're going into Pennsylvania trying to mess with that situation as dramatically as possible. So, David, w- what is your sense of the state of this this race right now? We, we are so close. I say 29 days until Election Day. There really is no more Election Day. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of like the deadline. Voting has already begun. Yeah. Uh, wh- where are we at? You're right. It's It's remarkably stable and historically quite an aberration to be this stable this long in the the national polls. The state-to-state polls, of course, are the only one that matters, are the only ones that matter for the election. But look, there are some things that could change even a relatively stable race. And I've I've had them in four bins going back for a few months now. Uh, The first bin is COVID itself. And I thought that the way that could be a wild card is uh, one of two directions. It could be number one, that the mismanagement of it at the national level is so bad that people who were holding their nose and voting for Trump say, I can't do that anymore. I did not think it would be a Trump diagnosis. Um, But I thought the other direction could be that our brilliant scientists um, come up with a vaccine that is amazingly effective and can be announced in the weeks before election day. So that's, there are possible elements of COVID as a wild card. Um, The second one is Joe Biden himself. 
Um, stay alive, man. I mean, if, if Joe Biden were to become <laughs> sick or injured himself, that could be a wild card. That okay, could by the way, can I just polls. throw out my, one of my deepest dreads? Yeah. I know he's, 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 he's tested negative. Um, but that's, that does not mean that he is out of the woods on all of this. And I know I'm not supposed to use the word bingo card, but if you want the, the darkest bingo card yeah. square, it's Do- Donald Trump manages through his recklessness to take out Joe Biden. Okay. Yeah, that that is dark. Um, (laughs) I got to say my other two bins feel just as dark to me. Um, The third one is a true foreign policy crisis. And I mean something like a literal attack on the United States, something that that takes it in a very different direction and takes even presidential joyrides off of the news because you have an active military campaign against the United States. And then fourth, a version of that is something that I still think is likely, which is a uptick in Russian information warfare um, the way they did in 2016. But I see the dark scenario here being a twist. We all anticipate and the assessments so far have been that Russia is aiding the Trump campaign and is doing some of the same things as 2016. But if Biden continues to be up, what would it look like if Russia very obviously put out a massive effort to support Joe Biden in the last week before the campaign, seemingly giving up on Trump and doing everything possible, including trying to hack into voting apparatuses all over the country and make it look like they actually pushed Biden over the finish line. Um, That is an information warfare step that would be a kind of wild card, especially in the days right before most of the votes will still be cast. Yes. Okay. So who does that help? Who does that help or hurt? Well, I think the, by the time it, we realized how bad it was, the election would be over like last, last well, time. Well, yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. Um, but the fact is we would suddenly all be talking about a very open and obvious Russian effort yeah. and the voices would come out saying, oh, it was all a hoax that they were supporting Trump anyway, all along. They really wanted this. It would muddy the waters enough that it could actually um, either push some votes or more likely just get people to throw up their hands and say, I'm just not going to go out and vote because now I don't know who to trust. Any of these things could affect some of the percentages. I'm not sure with a race this stable for this long that even these yeah. wild cards would upset it. Okay, so, so the, wild cards yeah. we haven't talked about that should yeah. be affecting the race that are much more interesting to talk about. Number one, the $4 million that Fox News had to pay to an assistant of Kimberly Guilfoyle's for her <laughs> sleazily and uh, yeah. unprofessional behavior. <laughs> I'm trying to lighten things up a little bit. Yeah. And number two, Eric Trump is sitting for a deposition today. Today. That's today. right. Yeah. <laughs> but we won't know what he has to say, right? We're, uh, we're not likely to hear about that. No. No, but we know he's going to be asked about whether the Trump organization improperly reported assets for the purpose of securing loans or evading taxes. Well, I mean, there's so much. I mean, remember when you went to bed the other night and you thought that maybe the Melania tapes would be a big story? We'd be talking about that for weeks. (laughs) No. okay. just running run these numbers by, though, because, okay, so this is the real clear politics average 28 down 28 days out from presidential elections. In 2004, Bush was up by 1.8. We remember he won. 2008, Obama was up by 6.2 and won by about that amount. 2012, Obama was up by one half of 1%. And as we know, won by a substantially bigger margin than that. 2016, which traumatized us all forever, 
uh, Clinton was up by 5.8. And today, Joe Biden is up by 8.3. So going back uh, for you know several decades, no candidate has led by that much 29 days out from a presidential election. And at this point, every candidate that was ahead in the polls 29 days out went on to win the election. I just point this out. Don't want to get irrational exuberance, but you know that that seems to be a, an important. So you have to imagine some massive game-changing event that's going to turn things around. And every story that's 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 really broken through in the last, I, I want to say, two weeks, but maybe a month. You correct me, has been negative to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has taken just one hit after another. The Atlantic article about calling the veterans uh, losers, that, did, that didn't help. New York Times uh, expose on the tax avoidance, the disastrous debate. Every one of those moments you'd say, he need, this is the week he needs to turn things around, or this is the week he needs to climb back. It not only has not happened, um, I mean, even, even if there had been no movement whatsoever, it would be bad for Trump, but it's been negative one shot after another. So I'm really having a hard time thinking what's the turnaround going to be now, unless it was some massive, unexpected sympathy vote for the president, which I can't see. But but again, we all live in our bubble. So who knows? And to that point, Charlie, what we saw at the beginning of the year was largely because he had not really defined himself again. Uh, Joe Biden's net favorability was underwater. It was, I believe, 10 points under. And steadily all year, it has increased as the president has turned up the rhetoric as they've talked about Sleepy Joe and socialism, and it would be the squad running things. All of that has actually increased Joe Biden's favorability. Now, in the most recent Wall Street Journal NBC poll, he was actually plus two nationwide. Everything that the president has tried to do has only highlighted that Joe Biden is a very different person than he is. And honestly, that poll doesn't take into account what's happened in the last two days. Right now, it would be hard to imagine that Joe Biden would not have an even higher net favorability rating. This is an interesting point, Amanda, and I'm, I'm glad you really brought this up because the Joe Biden favorable, unfavorable is one of the biggest obvious disparities between 2016 when Hillary was so deeply unpopular, so deeply underwater. I think a lot of Democrats still don't fully understand how thoroughly disliked Hillary Clinton was going into that that election. Joe Biden is not Hillary Clinton in that respect. And as David just mentioned, all the stuff about socialism, all the stuff about Hunter does not seem to have worked at all. And, you know, the best shot the president had was at that debate and he's still standing. So the president, if he was going to have a turnaround, it wouldn't come by way of him improving his behavior or having some kind of positive development happen. It would come by way of Joe Biden making a mistake or some outside scandal hitting the Biden campaign. Uh, To this day, I think it's safe to say Biden has pretty much played error-free ball. Uh, We've anticipated he would make a mistake somewhere along the way or otherwise stumble. And he really hasn't, even though he's had a couple uneven performances. And so I, I'm not going to rule that out in the days ahead because he could make a mistake. You almost have to count on that. And maybe not him, but maybe a prominent member of his campaign. Who knows? You just, that's, that's in the cards in any campaign. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, that, we, that we, would benefit Trump tremendously. And don't discount what the Democratic reaction would be. You see how they kind of bedwet over any minor <laughs> development that might blow back on Biden. I, if if Biden were to falter, the media would fully go into full like both siderism, um, despair. Could Donald Trump win again? That would all benefit Trump. Yeah, I, I I think so. And then of course you you have that 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 comeback narrative that that he's going to that he's going to embrace. I, I just I'm I'm just waiting, I have to say, with bated breath over the next two days on this question of the coronavirus inf- infection, because, you know, t- 2020 has been so dystopic already. It's like if, if you made a list of like what would be the most horrible things that could happen, um, we've just like checked the box. You know, our, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies. I mean, remember the shock of that. No, the president gets coronavirus. The shock of that. So what's what's left? What the script writers? What are they holding for the season finale? Right. I mean, they've they've this, the showrunners have been just pushing this to the max throughout the entire year. What's next? That would be the one thing, you know. So, well, by the way, do you guys remember what was the date of James Comey's announcement that he was reinvestigating Hillary Clinton? That was like it's October. Late 20, month, right? Yeah, because I was I was looking at the at the one poll, I think, from like October 23rd, where Hillary was up by 14 points. And I think it was after that. Right. That he that he dropped that. So you want to talk 28th. about. OK, let's see. October 28th. Uh, so, yeah. So that was at a point where um, everybody was so sure she was going to win. But that was the one thing that could change the game and did change the game. One I'm big difference. Trying- one yeah. big difference is the amount of uh, mail-in ballots and early voting this year. We've already Huge. locked in a whole lot of votes. Well, see, that's the other point is whether or not this whole, you know, we're used to analyzing everything up until election day, people showing up and still a huge number of people are going to show up on election day. But yes, that this is a huge variable for 2020. So, OK, so we still are we still, you know, feeling feeling rage or was this cathartic for us? It was cathartic, although I may go to the supermarket and just yell in the middle of the cereal aisle, don't you all know the president has coronavirus and is in the hospital? Because it's just going about normal daily life, or it's not really normal, where we just don't talk about the fact that he's in the hospital because he created the circumstances. Yeah, Yeah. are you going to wear the mask now? And I do wonder, I want to know if Kamala Harris is bringing the plexiglass dome to her debate on Wednesday, like uh, Harrison did in the Lindsey Graham debate. I hope she does. I really, I really, I really hope she does. I think it's reckless what uh, what Vice President Pence is is doing. By the way, among the things that are uh, infuriating, watching some of the Trumpkins spin this whole thing is like, well, isn't this a reason not to wear masks? Since if Donald Trump can get affected, then why should we be wearing? I mean, it's like, what world do you people live in? I'm, I'm, yeah, what what world? David Priest, Amanda Carpenter, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, Hangover Monday. You bet. <laughs> Bye. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again. There are just 29 days to go until the election.